Hi everyone, I'm Tara Mont, and you're listening to the Trust and Thrive with Tara Mont podcast. I created this podcast along with my blog and brand to hopefully inspire others to live their most authentic life. I truly believe that we all have the power to live a life we love, and to do so, it's so important to be in tune with ourselves and be open to growing and evolving. I believe that once we can trust ourselves and our vision, that's when we can thrive. So with this podcast, I plan to discuss all things to do with self-reflection, personal growth, mindsets, and self-belief, all aspects that affect us in our everyday life. If you feel connected to my message and want to listen more often, I will be sharing one podcast a week, so make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're taking care of yourself, your mental health. I know right now, too, if you're in the U.S., there is a spike in cases for COVID-19, and that can cause, obviously, a lot more anxiety. So I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're wearing a mask and doing your part and realizing that this has not gone anywhere. We really need to step up and think of everyone else. This is not time to go party if you're young to enjoy yourself. I just had to say that because I've been seeing so many people live their lives as if nothing's going on. It's just, it's hard to see. So I just hope you're staying safe and doing your part. And so with that said, this week's guest is Adriana Bucci. Adriana is a certified mind-body life coach and narcissistic abuse recovery expert. After decades of narcissistic abuse from her family of origin and four years of chronic pain, she made the mind-body connection in early 2019. Essentially, the mind-body connection is a theory that says that repressed emotions from childhood trauma are stored in the body and manifest as chronic pain and other mystery symptoms. The solution is to allow oneself to feel those repressed emotions, which Adriana did very reluctantly at first, as she says, as this was truly hard to believe for her. Lo and behold, doing this inner work worked for her and she has been spreading the message ever since. So I really enjoy this episode because if we don't allow ourselves to feel our emotions, I truly believe that they will manifest in another way, whether that's physical, through addiction, so many different ways it can. And so I appreciate Adriana for being here and for sharing her story. And of course, this isn't to say that doing this will solve any chronic pain or anything. Um, we're not, you know, medical doctors or anything, but this is simply Adriana's story and what has worked for her. And something that you can explore if you can relate to Adriana's story. And so I hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to follow Adriana, her Instagram handle is at let's get your shift together, which I love that name. I think it's so clever. I will make sure to include that in the description of this episode along with her other info. So with that said, I hope you enjoy this interview. Let's get right into it with Adriana. Hi, Adriana. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. So can you start off telling us about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I am a life coach and I focus on helping people to recover from narcissistic abuse and from pain, both physical and emotional pain. Awesome. So um, what inspired you to get into that field and to start your Instagram page? Yeah, so basically my own battle with chronic pain. So for four years, I was suffering with so much chronic pain in the form of like migraines, 
on a very regular basis, headaches every day, TMJ dysfunction, carpal tunnel syndrome. Eventually I got ulcers because I couldn't take painkillers anymore. It was a pretty huge disaster for me. Um, so it was, uh, it sucked. And then by October of 2018, I ended up getting shingles in my mouth, which is extremely painful. And people don't really get that until they're seniors. So it was really weird that that even happened to me. And of course I was getting my, my skull essentially realigned with braces and like a splint and stuff for my jaw issues to hopefully get rid of those migraines. And so simultaneously here I have shingles and then that ended up giving me trigeminal neuralgia, which is nicknamed the suicide disease. So it's extremely painful. And I didn't know what else to do anymore for the pain. Like I was getting injections in my face to numb all the muscles in there. Like it was, it was wild. And by January of 2019, I kind of stumbled upon the whole concept of mind body syndrome, which uh, is a theory that all physical chronic pain is linked to childhood trauma and the repressed emotions that we never expressed. And it makes sense because when you don't feel an emotion, where does it go? It just stays in your body. And then after decades of constant repression, you end up with all this pain. So, you know, I completely brushed this off as hogwash when I first heard about it. I thought it was complete BS. But sure enough, I started to do the emotional work and I started feeling better. And then once I was out of pain, by April of 2019, I was like, I must help everyone with this. That's amazing that you were able to realize that, thankfully, early on, too. And do you feel like it really affected your mental health in general? And is that something that inspired you to kind of start um, what you're doing and to help other people? Absolutely. So it was, um, for me, I had been raised in a narcissistic household. So that was where a lot of my trauma originated from. And I always battled with like anxiety and depression and stuff like that. But you know, I went to counseling, I did all that stuff, but not one person ever really told me that I needed to feel my feelings. Um, <laughs> like, apparently, this is a, <laughs> it's a very unknown thing, uh, apparently. And I mean, it is really difficult to feel your emotions, like when you've been so numb to them for such a long time. And yeah, just kind of going through that whole journey, I kind of decided to also help people who had been um, narcissistically abused in the past as well, because that has such a huge impact on your mental health, on your emotional health, and everything is pretty much tied to those repressed emotions. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up too, because I think a lot of people do grow up in households where they think repressing their emotions or distracting themselves or not talking about it is a strength, and that's the right thing to do. When in reality, like you said, it will always show up in a one way or another. From your experience and what you've learned, what does a healthy relationship with one's emotions look like, in your opinion? Sure. So it it can look different for different people, of course. And um, in my opinion, it is when you know that there are emotions there, you know that you can get triggered and feel an emotion and being okay with that. So just literally being able to sit with the emotion without having to do anything about it as uncomfortable as it is, because it is so uncomfortable when you're used to just powering through it, like you said, and just, you know, shutting yourself off to it, distracting yourself, not talking about it. So once you do reach that point where you know that 
you can't do that anymore and you have to sit with that emotion no matter what, that's, that's how you know you have a healthy relationship with those emotions. Mm-hmm. And what advice would you give to someone who maybe grew up in a household where, you know, they didn't talk about emotions at all, or if anything, they felt they were shamed for discussing how they feel? Um, what would you tell them now to slowly start connecting with themselves internally? Absolutely. So 100% be easy on yourself. Like, don't beat yourself up if you don't get it right the first time, obviously, because it's not something that you're used to doing. And just knowing that just because this is how your parents taught you how to be, it doesn't mean that it's right and being okay with that, right? And just being okay with those emotions and just understanding, having that understanding and compassion for yourself that there's nothing wrong with you. You just have this set of beliefs that were ingrained into you from your childhood and that it's okay if you have to take a different approach to healing than you thought that you would have to take. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people, when it comes to trauma, we, when we see it in the media, we see it in such an extreme light that we don't really think like, oh, maybe growing up in a household where we didn't talk about emotions or in a narcissistic household could be considered a form of trauma for people and that really affects us we don't we don't always classify it in that way so is that something you've experienced like even just um, classifying your childhood as something that's really affected you and acknowledging that absolutely I when I first stumbled upon this whole mind-body thing I thought trauma was you know you have to be a child living in a war in a war zone and you know, witnessing bombings and stuff like that, or like witnessing your parents get murdered, or like something really crazy, like huge capital T trauma, and anything else didn't really count as trauma. And it took me a while to wrap my head around the fact that I did go through trauma as a child. And even though my original definition of trauma was super extreme, and the media really does kind of make us think that trauma is not an emotional thing at all, but it really is. And it's our coping mechanism as a child where we go through that trauma and we either don't feel those emotions or we repress them. And that's a survival mechanism. And that keeps us in fight or flight in the exact same way that it would be if you were actually, your life was actually at risk. And so now going back to um, narcissism, because I think a lot of people can relate to experiencing that in their life, whether it is um, with their family or in a relationship. So how would you define narcissism? Sure. So, I mean, there's a million different ways that you could define it. Um, But basically, when there is an obvious pattern that someone who, like the person cannot take any self-responsibility for anything and they just have this huge sense of self-importance and they just use all these different types of manipulation tactics, whether it's gaslighting, making you think you're crazy, saying that something didn't happen when it obviously did happen. Um, it's, it's very crazy making behavior and the target of that abuse is usually always in a state of complete confusion and just walking on eggshells because you just don't know when the next shoe is going to drop. So, you know, I mean, everyone has traits of narcissism in general, but when it becomes a pattern like that and 
you know, a real narcissist is never going to be able to self-reflect and be like, oh, wow, I'm being a narcissist. I should stop doing this. So if you are in that camp of people where you're actually wondering if you could be the narcissist, that's your huge clue that you're not. Because a true narcissist does not have the ability to actually self-reflect like that. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, very often it's sugarcoated with, you know, it's because I care, I love you kind of thing, whether it is with a parent or in a relationship, whatever it is. And so what are some, you know, obviously it's very general. There could be so many different ways someone can um, express this behavior. But what are some examples you can share of just maybe toxic and healthy narcissistic behavior? Yeah. So just, uh, you know, I'm doing this for your own good type of stuff. Like, like an example for me is, you know, they, they take any type of situation that you would benefit from and twist it somehow. So for me, um, I went through a bit of financial abuse with my narcissistic parent and we had a joint account and I was not allowed to get my own account because, my mother's account was like a senior's account and there were no uh, bank fees or anything like that. So that's kind of how she was able to have financial control over me. Um, so eventually, you know, once I started waking up to the situation, that stopped. But, you know, it's it, it can get really sugarcoated. So even in a relationship, it can be it can look like, you know, you're with someone and they dangle this carrot of marriage and engagement. And then all of a sudden you have a reaction to their abuse. And then all of a sudden they decide for you that, Oh, you're not ready for engagement or marriage just yet. So we're just going to slow things down a little bit. And then it's like, it's kind of like a punishment in a sugar coated kind of way, if that makes any sense. Like there's so many, so many different scenarios where this could be, where this could happen. And what do you think are some like common aspects of this, like guilt, um, maybe feeling shame that like a narcissist maybe puts on you? Like, have you experienced that kind of guilt? Like you need to be here for me. And maybe that develops into codependency. What are some patterns you've noticed? Oh, 100 percent. So for me personally, um, guilt was a huge thing that I had to deal with. And it was one of my biggest repressed emotions ever. And a lot of it stemmed from just these crazy consequences of my actions. So, you know, it would be like my mom would be putting me down or something and then it, I would react and then my reaction was wrong. And then it turned into, oh, well, when I die, you're going to be sorry and stuff like that. And then I would, you know, I had this fear in me from a very young age that like, oh, my God, my mom's going to die. I have to take care of her no matter what so that she doesn't die because, you know, it would be my fault. Like just these crazy things that had nothing to do with me. Like, you know, I don't have the power to cause that, right? This belief that was ingrained into me that like, oh my God, like something really, really bad is going to happen and it's going to be my fault because I don't know how to act properly. And I keep getting in quote unquote trouble for having reactions. So I'm wrong and everything's my fault. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that connects to um, a post. I know you posted this that I really liked about confusing abuse and loyalty. And it's easy to kind of manipulate and be like, you have to be here for me. You know, you have to care for me, especially if it's a parent, because it's different, like, as opposed to leaving a girlfriend or boyfriend, no matter what, you're going to be their child, they're going to be your parent. And that can be really hard, um, because you have to take care of your own mental health. And 
it's easy to also think, okay, well, I need to be loyal. So can you talk about the difference between abuse and loyalty and how that can be used to manipulate? Absolutely. Um, A lot of narcissistic parents will throw the whole argument of like, well, I raised you and I put food on the table. I put a roof over your head. So you owe me. Whereas, you know, like the child never asks to be born really, you know? So it's like, that is absolutely manipulation. So it's like, okay, cool. You did the bare minimum to not get CPS called on you, but you didn't do the emotional stuff. And that is like the biggest, the biggest thing that in my opinion would warrant loyalty, right? So loyalty to me is like, it's a give and take. Whereas abuse And emotional abuse, manipulation, all that, it's all one-sided. But it doesn't look that way when you're in the middle of that abuse because they really manipulate you into thinking that you're wrong and you are being loyal and it's not abusive at all, whereas it actually is. But you're just in that bubble of the abuse where, like, you you can't even tell left from right. It's extremely confusing and it's important to you know, be able to do that emotional work so that you can have that clarity to know when you are being manipulated or if the loyalties, you know, if there is actual warranted loyalty there. And I think that relates to romantic relationships too, because, you know, for example, it's so glamorized, like toxic relationships can be so glamorized sometimes, even something as simple as Romeo and Juliet of like, we have to die for each other and really ride or die kind of thing where (laughs) that's not necessarily a good thing. And, you know, you have to forgive someone through all the pain they put you through. And I, it can get taken so um, far off the rails where it's just so unhealthy. And I think that's just another example of giving a narcissist that power to say like, you know, if you don't do this for me, then you don't really care. You don't really love me kind of thing. And so I'm curious as to like if with your clients, you um, work with those who are mostly in romantic relationships or do you think it's mostly a parent they're dealing with or a family member? Um, Honestly, I find that the majority of my clients who find themselves in narcissistic relationship after narcissistic relationship after narcissistic relationship have roots with narcissistic parents. So the majority of my clients, like they've, you know, like recently broken off a relationship with a narcissist and also come to the realization that they also had narcissistic parents. And it's definitely harder to recognize it in your parent because you've grown up just thinking they're right the whole time. And, you know, you kind of equate your parents to like this godlike figure and you can't possibly say horrible things about them. So, yeah, I find that it's a lot of uh, a lot of them do have this whole dynamic where, you know, they they never realized that they had a narcissistic parent or both their parents were narcissistic until they ended a very significant relationship in their lives or are on the on the road to ending that relationship. Mm -hmm. And so how can someone who is now say, in a romantic relationship, and maybe it's the same pattern over and over again with a narcissist, how can they start to realize realize those patterns? Because it's easy to get, to to not even notice that you're in that kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, it's definitely very hard to notice. Um, But once you get to that point where 
you, you have to get to that point on your own where you realize like something is not working out. And, you know, after several failed relationships, most people will start to question their own actions or, you know, like where they're falling short and why this keeps happening. But it's also important to understand that it's very easy to get manipulated. So you can't like blame yourself too much. But being able to have that self-reflection is key to even understanding that there are signs to look out for. So just, you know, if the relationship was super amazing at the beginning and then all of a sudden it's kind of like gone to shit and, you know, you find yourself questioning everything, that's a huge sign. You know, if there's all these promises that they made you in the beginning and now they're not happening because you reacted to abuse, that's another sign. If you're walking on eggshells, if you're afraid of like, consequences of saying the wrong thing doing the wrong thing things like that that's a huge sign so definitely realizing that the signs are there and they've been there from the beginning is huge and then just kind of you know getting support so whether that's through a support group online and you know you just discuss it with other people who are going through the same thing that's huge for some people and you know like following accounts on Instagram like that have these types of resources and just you know if you can see yourself in a post and make that realization that's huge too and just understanding that you know there's a huge emotional aspect that comes with healing from it. I've had loved ones who have been in that kind of relationship and it's obviously it's so different when you're in it. I can empathize with that. And, and anyone can say, just get out of it or just leave that dynamic or change that dynamic. But it's obviously so difficult when you're the one experiencing it. So why do you think many people struggle to leave abusive or unhealthy relationships? Other than the obvious, maybe financially they're stuck with them or they have to be there. But in general, if they have that freedom to leave, that financial freedom or um, they don't have kids, like what are some reasons you think people still stay? Uh huh. Yeah, definitely. The manipulation is why they stay. Um, just because, you know, they they don't think they they blame themselves a lot for it, and then they want to be able to fix it so that they know that they've been able to give it their best shot when they're being blamed for all the issues, and they want to prove to themselves that like no, like it's not me, and I'm trying my hardest, and. There is this whole culture of, you know, you have to die for that other person, you know, like you mentioned earlier that, you know, just this whole loyalty thing. And there's also a component of false hope that the other person's going to change. And sometimes, you know, if you do kind of like tell the narcissistic person that like, you know, this is how you're treating me and I don't appreciate, sometimes they will in a manipulative way say like I apologize for it and then you know keep them stringing along or they'll manipulate them and say like oh no if you leave me like I'm gonna die and all these crazy things and it's just that guilt and that manipulation and just those repressed emotions in general that kind of keep you in that state of confusion so that you can't get out you feel like you're stuck. Mm-hmm. And do you think that also connects to the roles we play? Like, say, whether that is being the savior for your parents and then you continue that on when you're older or you have to be the good girl or the, uh, the good boy or the people pleaser. Would you say that um, playing those roles really takes part in that? Absolutely. Yeah. What are some, do you know, um, like other examples of roles we maybe play in that kind of dynamic other than just like the savior? 
Yeah, so there's definitely the people pleaser role, um, the good girl role. So, you know, you, you get raised in this situation where it's like you have to make everyone happy and you're responsible for other people's emotions and their happiness. And, you know, when you're in a relationship with somebody who's toxic, it's kind of like you're replaying the dynamic with your parents growing up and you have to keep that person in the relationship happy no matter what. And leaving them just does not feel like it's an option at that time when you're in that in that stuck in that loop, like mentally. Mm -hmm. And I really do believe that people won't change unless they want to. We can't force anyone to change. You know, they can say, I want to do this or I'll start going to therapy or doing this and that. But if they don't really want to do that work, um, you can't really force someone to do that. And so say someone is in a relationship with a narcissist and they keep, they want to help them, but there's only so much they can do. What would you tell them about, you know, understanding that they can't fix everything it's not their responsibility absolutely so it it's absolutely not your responsibility to help someone to change at all change comes from within and a narcissist doesn't believe they actually have to change so even though they might say that they're going to change the behavior will you know, it speaks louder than the actual words that they say, right? So if they say they're going to change and then they actually don't, but they keep trying to gaslight you into thinking that they've changed and they obviously haven't, um, you have to understand that there's absolutely nothing that you can do as the other person to help this person. And, you know, they, they don't feel like they need to change, which is, you know, it's the craziest part of it all because obviously the common denominator is the narcissistic person. Um, but you're better off working on yourself rather than trying to change someone else because you're just going to be wasting your time, wasting your time, wasting your time. And it's hard to come to terms with that when you're in that guilt cycle, when you're feeling that shame and you're feeling that need to be a people pleaser, to be the good girl, to be the good person to be that person who makes everybody happy. And it's just so important to understand that the only person that you have control over is yourself. So you might as well put that energy into helping yourself and healing yourself. And then by doing that, you don't end up attracting these types of people anymore. Everyone is working with the skills and the tools that they have. And so even for a narcissist, I don't think they always realize what they're doing necessarily and maybe they think they have the best intentions and they want to be they're doing this because they care because they love someone and so that ends up kind of being their definition of love and so I know you touched on recognizing if you're a narcissist but what are some other ways someone who may not even realize they're performing these narcissistic behaviors how can they tell yeah so I mean a true, true, true narcissist will will not do any self-reflection like that at all. Um, so if you're even able to do some sort of self-reflection and think like, hey, where have I been toxic in a relationship? Then there's a lot of hope for you. Like, you know, if you're, you can't change what you can't acknowledge. So again, you can't force someone else to acknowledge it. If you're able to acknowledge it in yourself that, yeah, like you, you've had some toxic behaviors in your own relationships and like we all do everyone like we're all guilty of being toxic and being manipulative it's part of being human but the ability to actually self-reflect and think about like oh 
okay, I hurt this person on a emotional or mental level and that sucks. And being able to think like, what can I do to heal from that? That's when, you know, there's hope for you. Mm hmm. And that's that's good to know. I think a lot of people, you know, we all make mistakes and no one's perfect. And it's so easy to classify ourselves as on things. So it's I think self-reflection at the end of the day and accountability, because we all make mistakes. We all say things, you know, when we're in the heat of the moment and we may hurt the ones we love. But I think being accountable and responsible for that and trying to be better is a huge sign, obviously, that you're on the right path. Yeah. So I also like this post. Um, you mentioned that unconditional love does not mean unconditional acceptance of bad behavior. And I think if you come from a household with narcissism, it's easy to define love in a certain way. So if, for example, there's really toxic and unhealthy patterns, but you know, a parent says, oh, well, I'm doing this for your own good, or I love you, or this is how I show I care, then I think in the future when you're in a relationship, romantic relationship or friendship, um, you start to believe that that's what love means, whether or not you're the one doing it or receiving it. And so how can someone who comes from a household that may have those unhealthy, toxic behaviors redefine love if they don't even know what that means, like what a healthy version of that is? Mm -hmm. So it's going to take healing on that person's part to to even be able to understand it like and it doesn't have to be a huge amount of healing like just just acknowledging first of all that this is a completely warped way of viewing love to begin with is the first step so just understanding that to begin with is huge and then processing your emotions that come with it and as you do that it'll it'll become so much clearer and it's not like you have to process your emotions for like a year and then you're all good, right? Like there's no real timeline on it. It's just the work that you're willing to put into your own healing is what's going to give you that clarity to see that like, okay, so it is important to set boundaries and, you know, love does not have to look like me constantly sacrificing myself time and time again in order to make this other person happy or to give them you know, narcissistic supply, which is just your emotional reaction. Boundaries are so important. I think a lot of people struggle with that, um, setting boundaries in, de in general. And I have to thinking like, oh, well, I have to be there for that person or I've been a people pleaser. So you kind of think you have to do everything no matter what, even if it's not necessarily um, good for your own well-being. How do you kind of start to set those boundaries with someone who maybe doesn't respect them? Like, wh what can you do if you're in that kind of situation? Yeah, so I mean, if you've set a boundary with someone and they get mad, at, get mad at you or they don't respect that boundary, that is like a huge indication that that boundary needed to be set a long time ago. So that's a huge indication that you're on the right track with setting boundaries with that particular person. So, you know, just kind of sticking to your guns and making sure that you are honoring your own boundaries and if someone doesn't accept it then that's absolutely the type of person that you needed to set boundaries with and then processing your emotions towards that when they do react badly to it because you know it's uh I always go back to the processing of the emotions but it's such a big factor in you know anything in general like especially with this kind of stuff it's um It'll help with the clarity and it'll help you 
you know, stop making excuses for them and like, oh, well, maybe I did really hurt their feelings or maybe, you know, they really are offended. But, you know, any normal person that you would set a boundary with, they're going to say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that I was like harming you in this way. So any like a healthy person who's not narcissistic will respond in a positive way to your boundary. Someone who's narcissistic, they're they're not going to react well. And that's just further proof and further validation. If you can look at it in a light where it's further validation that you're right about this person not being healthy for you, then that's a really good way to look at it. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes back to um, beliefs that we maybe grew up with say for example when you're a kid and a parent asks for money or for some for you to do something and you say no and they make you feel guilty for it then maybe you think like I'm a bad boy or I'm a bad girl if I don't help out or go out of my way to save someone or help someone and so how vital do you believe it is to really connect to one's inner child and to kind of redefine those limiting beliefs we may have grown up with It's so vital because that just reconnecting to your inner child makes you understand like why you think the way you think, because it's always connected to something in your childhood that made you have that belief system. So, you know, if you had that belief that you have to be a good girl or a good boy in order to make this person happy, that belief just sticks with you. It's not like you become an adult and that belief just magically goes away and your brain does this thing where it's like, oh, time to shed these old belief systems that don't serve me anymore. No, it actually takes like work on your part as an adult when you do realize it and just going back to that inner child, going back to whatever age you were when the trauma happened, even if it was multiple ages, like you wouldn't do it all in one sitting, of course, because then that's that's a little much. But, you know, even if you once a week commit to connecting to that inner child and it's a different scenario every week that you've connected to. That will help you get that gain that understanding of where you're coming from and why you have these belief systems. And then just, you know, reassuring your inner child that you're an adult now and you're here for them. And, you know, they made it through that trauma and you're here to protect them. I think it's just such a beautiful idea because I think it's common to, you know, if you grew up in that kind of household and you realize it. You may go off and try to find a partner to complete you and to make you feel validated and whole. And when in reality, obviously, I think we all need to do that inner work on our own and be the one to kind of save ourselves in that way, if you would agree. So do you think like with a lot of your clients, people are looking for maybe um, a replacement of a parent or what they never had growing up and what they wanted or or obviously just a repeat of what they had? I think like once someone gets to the point where they're actually actively seeking out a coach to heal from this, they're not necessarily looking for a replacement, but they're looking for a solution on like how to stop feeling terrible about the whole situation and how to move forward in life. And, you know, I feel like as you go through that phase of like looking for that replacement, looking for that person to complete you and whatnot, um, you're not necessarily thinking about how can I heal? Mm -hmm. That's true. And so in that process of healing, obviously it's non-linear. Any kind of healing process is not so simple. There's no start and end point, but um, we all have our moments. And I think especially when you become a parent, um, it's easy to maybe kind of repeat what your parents have said to you in the heat of the moment and you stop yourself so we just all make mistakes and as long as we're aware of it and reflect on it I think that's so important and so 
um, what are your thoughts on being self-compassionate with yourself through that process and being patient with yourself through the healing process? Yeah, it's so important because if you're not self-compassionate, then you're just, your inner critic is, is the boss, right? And your inner critic is usually the voice of your parents. And having that self-compassion is crucial to doing this healing work because, you know, if you keep listening to that voice that says, oh, you're not healing fast enough or you're not healing good enough or you're not healing perfectly or this isn't worth it or, you know, the solution's not in this healing work and, you know, like I told you that you're going to feel bad because healing's not comfortable. It's really not like just going to be completely honest it's it's uncomfortable work because it's all this repressed stuff that we've held on to for so long that kept us safe and just understanding that you know these are coping mechanisms that I came up with as a child and that kept me safe then and there is nothing wrong with me it's just these patterns that I need to understand first of all and be able to just feel my way through them and just having that kindness towards yourself and giving yourself a break because people probably didn't really give you a break back when you were going through the abuse. It's just so detrimental that so many of us classify, you know, being vulnerable as a weakness or you can't share your emotions kind of thing. And that's obviously changing over time, but there are still households who share that message. So what would you tell someone who comes to you and says, Adriana, I'm fine. I don't need to work through (laughs) my emotions. I don't need to go back and um, talk about those hard moments. I've been getting through my life and I'm okay. And it's not affecting me because I think a lot of people don't realize it's affecting them in ways, like you said, it could be physical or it could be emotional without them realizing. So what would you say to someone who says, I'm fine. I don't need to tap into those unhealed wounds. Well, so, I mean, if someone, I would be really surprised if someone said that to me because then they're obviously not ready for coaching, right? So I think we all have to reach that certain point of suffering where we'll do anything, right? So, you know, if it doesn't manifest in chronic pain, it could be like anxiety or it could be like weird health conditions that you keep going to the doctor and they just never tell you that anything's wrong with you and you know this is all different types of manifestations of the repressed emotions so really you have to be at a point where you're ready and willing to feel those emotions if you want to heal and for someone who has been in an abusive relationship or they grew up in that type of household and they believe it's their fault I think a lot of people can think that um, what would you say to them and to their child their child self who thinks, you know, maybe I asked for it or it's my fault or I didn't do the right thing. Yeah. So definitely that's where the self-compassion comes into play and just understanding that like you were just a kid when all of this happened to you and it's not anything that you asked for. It's not anything that you deserved. And, you know, like a kid cannot be held responsible for how an adult feels or how an adult behaves. Right. So just having that understanding is huge. And, you know, that self-compassion, that ability to reflect on their childhood and realize that, like, I didn't know any better because I was a child. And understanding that now you're an adult and you have the power to make these changes and 
you have the power to be your own self healer and do the emotional work in order to have a better life. If you've reached that point where you just cannot suffer anymore, then that's super empowering. And I always think that too, like even for my own children, I feel like it's my responsibility to work through so many generational wounds, which can be difficult, but as much as I can so that I don't pass that on um, generation through generation. And so um, for someone who right now is living with someone who's a narcissist or an abusive household, and obviously with quarantine, it can be, they don't really have that many options to leave. So what tips would you give to someone who is dealing with someone who does not respect those emotional boundaries at all? Absolutely. So gray rocking is going to be your biggest tool if you're quarantined with a narcissist right now. And gray rocking, for anyone who doesn't know, is when you take on the persona and the excitement of a gray rock, which is extremely boring. So you give very boring responses to any questions. And I mean, it's not too, too difficult to do these days because life is pretty boring for most of us if we're in quarantine. So this is like such a great time to actually practice gray rocking because you can actually respond in a very boring fashion um, on anything that a narcissistic person would be saying to you. So there's that. And then, you know, just making sure you have like, if there's another room that you can go into when the narcissist starts to, you know, badger you on whatever. And um, just understanding that the narcissist feeds off of your emotional reaction. So even if that's a bad reaction, it's you're still giving them attention. You're still feeding into their desire to get a rise out of you. So by gray rocking them, you they're going to start losing interest and just understanding that the first couple of times you gray rock, you might really throw the narcissist off, right? Because they, they're not used to having a not emotional reaction from you if that's what you've been continuously giving to them, right? So, you know, just kind of agreeing with them with something super random. So if they're making an argument that the sky is red and we all know it's not, just saying like, yeah, okay, sure. The sky is red, like whatever, whatever you want to believe. It's so how about the weather today? And just kind of changing the subject to something super boring. Boring mm-hmm. is key. Mm-hmm, definitely. I wanted to ask you about grief related to this aspect, because say it is a parent or a loved one who maybe you wish they were a little different in that sense, or you want a close relationship to, and you may have to just accept that that's who they are. Um, how does grief relate to that? And have you experienced that in your own life? Oh, Yeah. Um, grief was huge for me, um, because it was pretty much like I had to mourn somebody who's still alive and that's not socially acceptable because grief is just reserved for, you know, deaths and grief can be, grief is a valid emotion for any situation where something was supposed to be and then it's not anymore. So even during this quarantine situation, you can have grief for, you know, the fact that we're probably not going to go back to normal and life as we know it is going to be completely changed. And, you know, grief for having a parent who is not the ideal parent, is not the poster, you know, feel-good movie of how a parent and child relationship is supposed to be. It's okay and completely valid to have grief towards that situation and just... Knowing that your life could have been completely different had your parent or parents not been 
the types of people that they are. It's, you know, it's uncomfortable to feel the grief, but the grief plays a really big role in healing and just allowing yourself to feel that grief as difficult as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, noticing where you feel it in your body, being able to just sit with it without having to do anything about it, but just be is huge for the healing process. And if you don't mind sharing, how are you able to notice that maybe this was narcissistic behavior performed by one of your parents? Because if you grow up in that, you start to believe that that's just the norm. But um, was it maybe like seeing other friends who had different family dynamics? What was it specifically for you that you actually realized it was happening? Oh, so for me, it was um, I was breaking up with somebody and I was Googling their behavior because I was just so confused because it was that classic dynamic of everything was great at the beginning and then it all sort of like went to shit and it was all my fault somehow. So and I noticed that this had replayed in previous relationships as well. So not all of them, but um, a lot, a lot of the people that I had dated in the past had been a very similar dynamic. So as I was on the Google rabbit hole, I saw the word narcissist and I really, you know, I didn't know what that meant at first. I just thought it was someone who liked to look at themselves in the mirror. Right. So it wasn't until I actually had that emotional trauma for, I don't know how many times in my life that I was just like, Hey, like I need to start doing some research into this. And like, what's wrong with me? I was wondering what my problem was that I kept attracting people like this. And in that Google rabbit hole, I found something about narcissistic mothers. And then I read the article and I saw my own situation in that. So it all kind of started to make sense at that point where it was like, okay, so I was raised by a narcissist and this is why I keep dating them. And now I know the signs. And I actually didn't even know that I had to heal from anything after I realized it because after I figured it out, very shortly after, I managed to find my husband, who is not a narcissist, and, you know, like, absolutely no red flag behavior or anything like that. And I didn't realize there was anything to actually heal from after realizing it. I just thought, like, oh, okay, so I know about it now, and I know the dynamics, I know the patterns, and that's it. I'm good to go. I can continue having the boring life that I've always wanted. <laughs> and... uh <laughs> Nope, sure enough, the chronic pain hit a year later, and then it was all just like a full circle thing. Wow. And with your husband, were you like, oh, wow, this is how it's supposed to be? <laughs> was it very strange because it was like uncomfortable? I'm not uncomfortable, but um, sorry, not what you were used to, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was always waiting for like, okay, so when's he going to start manipulating me? Yeah, <laughs> which is crazy. I know, right? No, but I mean, like no judgment at all, because I like everyone, everyone is experiencing this in some way. And I think when you're used to that, and whatever norm you grew up in, if even if it's not a narcissistic household, we start to believe that that's normal. That's what love is that, you know, even if it is something that's wrong or uncomfortable. And so I, I so appreciate you being vulnerable and honest about it. Going back to what I said about kind of loving yourself and working through that with your inner child, I want to ask you what self-love looks like to you. Sure. So um, it, it really just looks like allowing myself to be kind to myself, right? So self-love is such a tricky one when it comes to there's so many different definitions of what self-love looks like. But to me, self-love is just being able to 
understand where you're coming from. Give yourself that self-compassion that you never got as a child. And being your own hero, being your own self-healer, doing your healing work, understanding that like it's okay to feel uncomfortable with your repressed emotions and just doing the thing anyways, doing the emotional exploration anyways, because you know it's going to benefit you. So anytime when you are in a situation where you're like, okay, like, let me do something to benefit myself rather than people pleasing, that in itself is an act of self-love. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you say that because like you said, I used to think narcissism was just, you know, only caring about yourself and like almost to the point where like you couldn't even be healthy selfish because you have to always do things for others because I didn't want to be a narcissist or I didn't want to be selfish um, when setting boundaries and caring about yourself is there's nothing wrong with that if anything that's necessary and so this whole show is about living your most authentic life and every guest obviously has a different uh, meaning to what that is for them and so for you what does living your most authentic life mean? That's a really good question. It's um, honestly, it starts with honesty towards yourself, right? So just any situation that comes up, like just don't, don't gaslight yourself out of any situation, you know, just understanding any situation for what it really is and being able to process everything emotionally and get, get real with yourself so that you can start doing the emotional processing and then, that in turn just turns into all this healing that happens and then you can actually be authentic with yourself and in turn you're authentic with others and whoever once you get to a point where like if your authenticity bothers someone else oh well Mm -hmm. and so lastly for someone who didn't grow up in a household where they are in tune with their emotions and they want to start that healing process they want to open up and they don't know where to start um what advice would you give to them? So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can go about that. So, you know, there's, there's free ways. So journaling is huge. That is free. And anyone can just grab a piece of paper, rage journal on it with no sensor, and then destroy that paper after 20 minutes is up. Cause that kind of gives your subconscious the message of delete. And just doing that every day is huge. Um, there's, other people who need support when going through this, right? And sometimes you can't just like confide in somebody else because they might not necessarily understand what you're going through. And, you know, sometimes you just need another person to hold space for you. So that's when coaching is super huge, counseling, super huge, therapy, like whatever works for you. There's no shame in requiring that extra level of support And that can actually be really huge for someone's transformation, right? So, I mean, you can start small with the journaling. You can join some support groups online. You can find a coach or a therapist that's going to be able to help you with, you know, dealing with these emotions and doing the healing work and stuff. So there's really no shame in any of that. Mm -hmm. So I'm incredibly grateful to you, Adriana, for sharing your story and for opening up. I think so many people can relate to this and they may not even be aware of it. So this will definitely help people open their eyes to that. So I lastly want to ask you, even though even though it's such an unpredictable time right now, of course, um, overall, what's coming up next for you and your work and where can listeners give you a follow and possibly work with you? 
Awesome. So, um, you know, people can follow me on Instagram at let's get your shift together, all one word. And, you know, if people want to work with me, I offer one-on-one coaching. It's available through my website, which is www.letsgetyourshifttogether.com. So I have been offering one-on-one coaching for a while and I do continue, I plan on continuing to offer it. Um, as for like the future, I mean, I'm going to continue doing what I do just because I think this is, it's super helpful to so many people. And the more people that I can, you know, help even through just my platform on Instagram, like that's awesome for me. And, you know, if people want that extra one-on-one support, I definitely offer that. That's all available on my website. I also have a course where, you know, if you don't necessarily want to work with somebody, you can do the course instead, which it's a 12-module step-by-step thing on how to feel your emotions, which uh, can be also accessed on my website. And I also have a book that is a step-by-step guide on how to feel your emotions as well. So, you know, if you haven't... uh, guessed already all of my work is around feeling your emotions and that's how the true healing happens by feeling those difficult emotions amazing and how did you come up with the name um let's get your shift together I love that (laughs) awesome thanks it honestly just kind of came to me one day like I knew I wanted to have a name with like a shift because it's a shift in your mindset on how you deal with like the chronic pain and how your brain kind of thinks about pain because that was initially what I was going to do before I started incorporating the narcissistic abuse um so I knew it had to be something with shift and then I was just thinking like oh get your shit together get your shift together let's get your shift together and it just sort of it just sort of happened like that (laughs) well I love that that's so clever so thank you so much for being here Adriana I appreciate your time and the work that you're doing so thank you thanks so much for having me I hope you enjoyed that episode. I'd love to know what you were able to take away from that. I think one thing for me that even just recently realizing that trauma looks so different for everyone. Of course, we have this idea in the media that trauma is only sexual abuse, physical abuse, war, um, some big moment, but trauma can be so much more and that looks different for everybody. You know, from small T traumas to big T traumas, it's so essential to acknowledge and recognize maybe how that's affected you and be okay with dealing with those emotions. I think putting a name to what you've experienced or what you've been going through or simply how you feel can help so much in the healing process. And I say this all the time, of course, and I will never stop saying it, that healing is a lifelong journey. There's no end destination and it's important to be patient with yourself, to practice self-compassion. You're going to have hard days. You're going to have great days. It's not like all of a sudden you reach a destination and you're healed and you don't think about your past or maybe growing up in a narcissistic household or dealing with certain trauma. It's a constant process, healing process. And so remember that to be patient with yourself. Like Adriana said, you can't change what you can't acknowledge. The biggest first step, at least for me, that's something I'm experiencing with many parts of my life. I'm looking back and saying, okay, this really affected me. This wasn't healthy. I hope you, whether it's through a friend, through a professional, you know, obviously seeking therapy is so important. I hope you're able to explore those wounds and parts of yourself and to heal for the rest of your life 
as we all are in our own way. So you can follow Adriana on Instagram at let's get your shift together. You can follow the Instagram for the podcast at trust and thrive or my personal Instagram at tara.mont. And with that said, Adriana and I actually collaborated on an Instagram live together yesterday. If you're listening to this episode, the date's released. That was yesterday, Wednesday, July 1st. If you missed it, it will be posted on the Trust and Thrive Instagram page. So do not worry. We will have more IG lives coming up. I will be making sure to post them as well so you can always watch them later on the feed. But obviously, if you can show up live and ask questions and be involved, that is such a better experience. So thank you for being here. I hope you stay safe. With that said, next week, we will be back with a new episode. Next week's episode is a little more lighthearted, um, a little fun, more on relationships and monogamy versus polyamory. So I hope you enjoy that one. It's going to be an interesting one, a little out of the box. So I hope you enjoy. And with that said, I hope you stay safe. I hope you take care of yourself. I hope you continue educating yourself, supporting black lives, reflecting to be the best, most self-aware version of yourself you can be. So thank you for being here. I appreciate you all. And with that said, I will catch you all next Thrive Thursday.